The Path of Resistance podcast is the podcast for people wanting to learn how living life with intentionality can lead us to living our best lives. In today's world, the norm is to follow the path of least resistance, which leads to mediocrity at best. Instead, you should strive to take the path of resistance, knowing that what's to come is sweeter than what you ever could have imagined. I'm your host, Carly Welty. Join me as I interview guests who have taken the path of resistance in all areas of life and are here to share the beauty that has brought them. On this journey, you can expect to hear stories about finances, faith, business, mindset, and anything in between. Let's dive in. In this episode, I interview Nikki with No Anxiety Prep. She has been a fixture on the college admissions scene for over 15 years, assisting students both domestically and internationally with the entire college application process. As you will be able to tell after listening to this episode, she's someone you can go to if you need help with making a college decision or have questions about the process along the way. If you enjoy listening to this episode, please take a moment to share it with a friend. Here's the episode. Hi, Nikki. How are you today? I'm doing well, Carly. How are you? Pretty good. So I'm just going to dive right into the first question, which is what is an example of a time that you took the path of resistance, which led to a more beautiful result? So I kind of thought about this and I I wanted to highlight that I am a first generation college student. I am a second and third generation immigrant, depending on which side you're looking out of my family. And I'm really proud of that. I am the first in my family to not only go to college, but achieve two master's degrees and coming from a family where that higher level education wasn't as valued was definitely a path of resistance. And now I'm proud to say that I have an undergrad degree from Maryland. I have a master's from Purdue and another master's from Harvard. So I think really getting through that idea that there was more and sort of living the American dream was, was very important to me. And then a more specific example I thought about was when I when I got out of college, I first worked in the journalism field at a TV station in D.C. that shall remain nameless. And after two years, I wasn't I wasn't as happy with my position for a lot of reasons. And my news director in particular was was just not a very nice person. And, And of course, in TV news, you're not looking to be coddled, but you are looking for a basic modicum of respect. So I thought about it and I remember going into her office and giving my two weeks notice, which I had, you know, learned was professional at that age. And I I just couldn't really take it anymore. And I thanked her for the opportunity and I told her I was going to go to graduate school instead. And I'll never forget this. She threw her planner at me and snorted, you aren't cut out for grad school. She literally threw a planner at me. And I look at how I would face that now and I'd probably be in jail. But at 24, (laughs) I was I was so stunned and and so young. I didn't I didn't really know how to handle that or, or really stand up in the face of that sort of abusive treatment, which was clearly an overreaction to someone doing what normal people do, which is leave a job. So um I I remember just kind of being stunned and walking out and and it was really hard leaving the industry that I'd worked so hard to get a degree in. But I think as we've all seen journalism has been one of the most rapidly changing industries in the past decade and not necessarily for the best. You know, a lot of us who went to J school are now being superseded by, you know, Bozo A with a smartphone. And that's really frustrating. So I look back and I I think of that comment and I have a sign in my house that I'm proud of. And it just says, prove them wrong. So that was my goal, you know, to to prove this person wrong. And I actually finished my first master's of science in 13 months. I earned a 4.0. I went to Harvard and got a second master's with a 3.95. So, you know, in my professional opinion, this news director can shove it. And I I sometimes dream of writing her a letter and just sending copies of my degrees and honors in. But in terms of, you know, I was reading what your podcast was about. I just, I, uh, I don't think 
someone who treats underlings like that isn't worth my time. And my path of resistance has to have a limit that is helping me toward growth and not wasting my time on people like that. Yeah, lots of resistance there. And I'm glad that you that you proved them wrong and took that path. So for the first path of resistance that you talked about, did you have resistance from your family to go to college? Not so much resistance, more as general apathy. I, I didn't really grow up in the best home situation. My parents and I had issues. My parents had issues between themselves and college, I would just say, wasn't a focus. So I wasn't actively discouraged, but you know, in my business now, my whole job is to obviously help people with that. I had no help whatsoever. I filled out my apps myself, wrote my own essays, you know, checked over my own things, which sort of in this day and age is unheard of, right? So no school help, no parent help. And I think just having the, in, in a way, negligence can be resistance. Yeah. And then you just allowed that to push you towards your now current job, which is owning a business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I am the president and founder of No Anxiety Prep or NAP. And my name is Nicole Andrea Porcaro. That is No Anxiety Prep. So I'm the NAP and NAP. And we just celebrated our 10th anniversary this year, which is really exciting. I have spent 15 years in education in various positions. So teacher, tutor, college professor, curriculum writer, trainer, business owner. And what we do is I formed my business to be a one-stop shop. So we provide academic tutoring, test prep, college and graduate school admissions assistance, resume review, interview prep, job-related service, executive functioning coaching. And we have a team of experts for this, but I sort of found in some of my older jobs that parents were frustrated at having to go to different places and tell their story to this tutor and then that coach and this, you know, whatever. So we wanted to make sure that we had a team that could support those students basically from middle school all the way through graduate school. We worked with kids as young as 11 and students as old as 45. So we really love the non-traditional student model. We are a strategies-based program. So what we do is we try to go away from the negative stereotypes of some of these tests. We teach our students to adopt an effective paradigm of thought to conquer these tests. Our strategies, though, are academic in nature. We don't it's not snake oil. It's not tricks. We we want to promote active reading skills, synthesis, thinking flexibly about how to approach a problem based on content and context. So we're really big on the whole student teaching strategies that don't just get you out of the situation you're in now, but but carry through, you know, through life. I had a text yesterday, actually. It's great timing from a parent. Uh, the student I worked with in high school, she's a sophomore at University of Maryland now. And the mom sent me a text that she had said that, you know, I still use the strategies Nikki taught me even in college. They're amazing. And that's why I'm making Dean's List. And it was just this amazing text that, you know, we really love working with our students as a, a long-term, long-term goal. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like you kind of help people defeat if, if someone says that they, I, they think they're a bad test taker. How do you help them work through that? Because it seems like that's a big part of the test strategy. So how do you do that? Sure. It's a great question. We get a ton of that from most of our callers. And what we want to do, the, the name of my company as well, is anxiety is often driven by a lack of confidence and a lack of preparation. And we feel that if we can conquer those two aspects and, and get through those two points of resistance, you know, a lot of problems are solved. 
we do that through teaching these specific strategies. So I'll give you an example. Two of our math strategies, uh, variable to number and working backwards, they help students avoid complicated algebra. I'm not saying don't learn algebra. I'm saying that in, in many questions, algebra is the best way, but in many others, there's these strategies that are kind of life hacks to take a, you know, a social media term. So we want to give students tools on their tool belt. So when they approach a problem or a test that they're anxious about, they can, you know, pick out the hammer or pick out the wrench, whichever one's appropriate here and give them that tool to take control. We also want to focus on engagement and dynamism with our relationships. You know, one of my big things when I started my company, I saw a lot of companies that said, all our tutors have perfect 1600 scores or perfect 36 ACT scores and we're the best. And that never sat well with me because I don't really care if you have a 1600 on your SAT, if you can't build rapport with a teenager or any student, that's that's not going to work. So we want to make sure that we're engaging and building that rapport with students so they have essentially almost a coach. You know, people ask what I do. They're like, are you a teacher? And I kind of laugh and not that there's anything wrong with being a teacher at all because it's part of my job, but it's like teacher, coach, therapist, fire putter, outer, you know, <laughs> creator, all these different things. So we really want to build that rapport to know that if a student knows someone's in their corner and has their best interest at heart, it can again decrease those feelings of stress. And we really focus on providing comprehensive materials in the form of our knowledge base. So we actually give students access to that for an entire year. If they do one session with us, if they do 100 sessions with us, they have access to that for an entire year. And they're able to access flashcards, videos, worksheets, strategy sheet, our course book. So we really want to show students that we are on their team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you had said that the anxiety and testing can come from a lack of confidence and a lack of preparation. And I feel like that second one is really key. My experience with testing. I mean, I have my bachelor's in accounting and I have my master's in accounting and I got my CPA license. And so I know, you know, the CPA test is pretty extensive. <laughs> and so whenever my peers ask me like, well, what did you do? I'm like, literally it's so simple you go through all of the material and I luckily I don't think that I'm a bad test taker I feel like I don't struggle with that so I know that's not like the only thing but it's a huge piece of the puzzle because I'll talk to people and they'll be like oh yeah I failed that section and I'm like well how much of the course book did you get through oh I went through a third of it well that's why <laughs> it's not because you're a bad test taker it's not because you're dumb it's not because of any of those things like everyone is pretty much capable of taking that exam it's you have to put the work in and you have to go through all the material and you have to be prepared and that's what will help you become a better test taker and so I literally can't stress that enough whenever I talk to people and they ask what my tip is for studying for the CPA and like go through all of the material <laughs> it's so true and I'm glad you put it out there because sometimes I feel like it's falling on on deaf ears but it's that and it's figuring out what learning style is best for you. Maybe some people need to sing the CPA exam if they're oral or, or you know, music. Maybe they need to make flashcards. I, I'm, a, I'm a, a by hand person. I prefer that. I have, you know, my younger Gen Z students who, who are like, no, we have to do everything on Quizlet. Okay, you do you. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. You're going to have to put in the work, but find the way that is making that material engage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's different for everybody. So it's just like trial and error of what works best for you, what sticks best for you. So, okay. Another question I have for you is trends in college admissions. I feel like COVID kind of threw a wrench in everything. So do you think more people or less people are going to college these days? <laughs> 
You know, we're definitely seeing a lot more applications. And the reason for that, that is, that's sort of a separate question than going, but hear me out. So we're seeing a lot more applications partially because of the test optional status of many colleges. I have a lot of issues with this. I think many people believe this to be a good thing. And pretty much just like everything in life, there's two sides to every story. But it's a real double-edged sword. I'm happy to get into that if you want. Yes. <laughs> and I've written articles about this. Uh, if anyone is interested, they can email me. But, you know, everyone's saying it's reducing barriers and more, you know, more socioeconomic diversity. And, and, and sure, now people who don't have scores at all or low scores can apply to Harvard and Yale or Maryland's and, and things of that nature. But what people kind of forget is that more applications means more competition and you're not always being judged fairly. The other thing people have to remember is who does this really help? Well, when applications are $75 a pop and colleges are now getting double or triple the applications, hmm, I wonder who that helps. You also have to remember that U.S. News & World Report you know, we've all seen the rankings. Part of what they base those rankings on is the acceptance rate and how competitive it is. So if we have double or triple the applications, but the same number of spots that people can get, oh my goodness, looks like a 40% acceptance rate just went down to a 25% a 25% acceptance rate. It doesn't mean necessarily that the college has improved. It means more people are throwing in apps. The other thing is, is that it is hurting certain demographic groups more than others, namely Caucasian and Asian, which, you know, again, is a, it's a tough conversation, right? We all want more opportunities, you know, for underrepresented demographic and socioeconomic groups, but we are seeing certain students kind of saying, hey, wait a minute, I've worked my butt off in high school, I have a 1550, I've done this GPA, why am I getting rejected? So, I think we have to look at it again as is a, a double-edged sword. There's a lot of organizations here, you know, that I've read who, you know, this is an amazing thing. This is wonderful, but it's also a barrier to people who can't afford that, right? So maybe you do have some lower socioeconomic students who want to, you know, go to college, but now they're facing more competition because there's more applications and they can't afford to throw in 15 or 20 apps like a lot of our, our you know, students can. So I, I think we are seeing more applications largely due to that. We've seen, you know, with grades being grades were grade inflation was a problem before the pandemic. It's it's been a huge problem since it, you know, grades, grades don't mean a whole ton anymore. They're, they don't measure mastery. They are measuring things like attendance or projects or, you know, different types of grades. You know, the school systems that I've worked in, you get a 50 percent just for putting your name on the paper. It, it's it's bonkers. So, mm -hmm. you know, the application process, a lot of people are kind of throwing it in and seeing what sticks, which is isn't always, you know, the best way. So that's kind of the first part. I would say that people are more cost conscious than they were five to 10 years ago. And that's due to two things. I would say one is the pandemic and the economic situation that the country slash the world is in. But other reason is people are starting to realize that, you know, paying $250,000 for an undergraduate degree may not be the best course of action, especially when they want to go to graduate school, or especially when there's better schools for what you want to do. So, you know, I'll, I'll just use University of Maryland. That's one of our big time schools here in the DC area. It's extremely appealing to clients, not only because of the cost, especially to in-staters, but they have an excellent honors program. They offer scholarship money and they're very, very high in the rankings, both overall. I believe they were just ranked number 19 out of public universities nationally and for specific areas. So their engineering, journalism, and business schools are also ranked in the top 
10 to 20, right? So we're seeing clients who are like, well, I guess it's kind of silly to pay Yale $250,000 when my kid wants to major in government and lives in Maryland. So, you know, DC and all. So we, we are seeing students make different choices with college. I know with our clients, we're not seeing fewer people go, you know, in certain areas, I think for better or for worse, or I guess I'd say for worse, you know, trades are looked at negatively, you know, electrical, plumbing, you know, what have you. And I think that's unfortunate. I don't think college is the only path. We are firm believers in individualized paths for students. So for some that may mean a four-year school, for some that means a community college, which I teach at one, and for some that means trade school or a different path altogether. So I think you know, I, I think I know we've seen during the pandemic numbers were slightly down for enrollment, but they also know largely that was part of students not wanting to do online learning. But I think I'm curious to see what happens after the next two admission cycles, once we've kind of collected data for the next for the past couple of years since the pandemic is, quote unquote, over and and see what happens there. But overall, I don't think you're going to see very big changes in the dominant demographics, which, you know, for college are white and Asians in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you covered a lot and I wanted to touch on a few of them. So the cost sensitive part, I wanted to talk to you about this because there are people who want to go to school and they have the resources to spend $250,000 on an undergraduate. But then my, personally, I went to New Mexico State University and I was able to get, it's not quite in-state tuition, but I'm from a neighboring state. So they have like a exchange program. So it's actually cheaper than if I were to go in my home state. Oh. Yeah. And when I was there, I started out in ag business, but then moved over to account. Well, actually I ended up getting both degrees, but the accounting business, the accounting degree was in my opinion, very well put together and I learned a lot. And so I feel like I wouldn't have learned more or gotten better opportunities going to this big school. So I feel like that's encouraging for other people to hear, oh, I can just go to a, a state college instead of this, you know, well-known, crazy, expensive school and get a reasonable or get a good quality education for an, a reasonable price. Another thing is like scholarships. I feel like I funded my college with scholarships and I feel like that's something that people don't think about proactively. And it's something that people should because spending the time beforehand going like before you go to school those hours that you put into applying for scholarships are, I mean, it's just like working, you know what I mean? Like you get paid way more than you would working at a restaurant probably (laughs) to put in all of these applications and to be successful with them. So what are your takes on the expensive school versus the state, the state school or even a community college, and then also scholarships? Sure. And and as you mentioned, some people can afford that and and good for them, you know, that, that you do you, as I've said, but I think scholarships and grants are well worth looking in. Scholarships can come in a lot of forms. So I'll try to break them down. This is actually a service No Anxiety Prep offers where we can meet with your family and try to close some financial gaps. We're actually working with a family right now who, you know, has this much income, but they're blank dollars short of where she wants to go. So we're actually working with them to help close those those sort of gaps. So the first thing that we, you know, look for is from colleges before matriculation. So many schools offer scholarships with their acceptance letters, which is of course another reason to ace those standardized tests because those are even at test optional schools often used. Obviously your GPA, keep those grades up, but also with your strength of schedule. And the other thing we're really working with parents and students on is sometimes you can appeal to schools for more money. 
most schools won't play ball because it's a competitive environment and no offense, they don't need you, right? But often you can and write sort of a formalized letter that says, I would love to attend your wonderful X university, but Y university gave me $5,000 more a year. Is this something we could discuss? My family is $37,000 short of your COA cost of attendance. Is there something that can be done? So there's ways to sort of craft those letters and, and be a little bit more I don't want to say pushy, but demonstrative in in what you need to be able to attend. You know, many schools aren't going to play ball, but also many schools will tell you they won't play ball and squeaky wheel gets the grease and all of that. So another way to look is after matriculation. So many colleges within their respective schools, engineering school, journalism school, they will send out scholarship apps on listservs and students often ignore them, right? They're studying or they're partying or they've got too much stuff going on and you can apply within the school. I know I personally received two scholarships while at Maryland for journalism uh, when I was a sophomore. So I would say make sure you don't stop the scholarship hunt after you get admitted. There are some websites. So Forbes has a website. You can kind of Google Forbes best scholarship websites, and they will offer links to general and specific scholarships. I I recommend doing anything easy. I mean, you'll see these, you know, fill this out for a $2,000 scholarship. We all know it's a marketing email, but if it's just your information and you can, you know, put it to spam, hey, who knows? Maybe maybe you'll get that $2,000 scholarship. I think what's more helpful is looking toward local level and character specific scholarships. So when I went to college, I received a scholarship for being Italian. I received a scholarship for being the daughter of a Marine. They have scholarships for being left-handed, for being a twin, for speaking Amharic, you know, all these different things. So search those out specifically. Look for nonprofits. Uh, You know, a great example is the Freedom From Religion Foundation. They give out a ton of money for writing short essays to undergrad and graduate students. So really focused on things like the separation of church and state. So even if you do subscribe to a religion, um, you know, plenty of people do write essays that say, okay, I'm Christian, but I strongly believe that we should not have Christianity in our laws, right? So you could write write about that. Uh, The Washington, D.C. Italian American Cultural Association and the National Sons of Daughters of Italy are more. I know not everyone listening is Italian, but they're examples of types of organizations you could look up for your heritage. Corporations and nonprofits, the ACT before has run contests for students to make short videos about, you know, anti-drunk driving or test prep, you know, in an age of constant social media and TikToks, this is, this might be right up our students alley. I know, you know, when, when you and I were kind of back in college, which really wasn't even that long ago, it was just much harder to make these videos and, and multimedia presentations. And now it's a snap. I always tell parents to ask their workplace if they offer anything. Some people are really unaware of any sort of matching programs, you know, or what Starbucks does. And and again, these are just examples to extrapolate from. There's there's plenty of other opportunities, but these are the ones we recommend. Big scholarships have kind of fallen by the wayside. So you might want to consider kind of piecing together scholarships in smaller amounts. And then one more place I'll recommend people look are law firms. I found this when I was applying for Harvard scholarships the past couple of years. Law firms just like give out money and often for undergrads. So I'm not just talking law school, but a lot of them will have like personal perseverance competitions. Those are usually the personal injury firms. Uh, But you can look at different law firms and see if they offer scholarships, which I assume is some sort of tax write-off or towards their pro bono work that I think the states require. But you can, you know, look at those. So be creative, try to be specific. Obviously, the bigger the category, the more people applying. So if you are a left-handed Amharic speaking tuba player, that's a good thing. I would look for that. Yeah. I love how you say to be creative because even like writing to the colleges to say, Hey, this college gave me X amount. Can you match that? Or can you work with me? I've never even thought about that. And that's a very creative way to 
just see what opportunities are out there. So can you give us some facts, some fun facts? <laughs> like what's a studying tip that you would recommend? Sure. So I think this actually leads into, you know, another thought I had, which was my a book or a resource. And and one of my favorite books is Prisoner of Trebekistan by Bob Harris. So uh, yes, Trebekas and Alex. So I am a two-time Jeopardy contestant and I had to study very, very hard for that. <laughs> And I read this book. I was enthralled. He he is a um, a super champion, which is what we call people who have won a lot. And he talks about different ways to make sure that you can cram your brain with all of this information. So if you've ever watched Jeopardy, you know there is a lot to know. But he talks a lot about how to you know, take something like E.M. Forrester novels, which is a random novelist from the 1920s. And um, I'll just give you an example here. So there's five of them that usually come up on the show. A Room with a View. Howard's End, A Passage to India, Where Angels Fear to Tread, and Maurice. So he basically says, in your mental head, what you want to do is prepare to be as childish as possible. So think of someone named Howard, and then basically grab him by his ass. Howard's End. So you want to think of a big old butt. Now we want to imagine a room with a view. So now you want to picture a big empty room with like a floor to ceiling window. And then you want to shove Howard's 30 foot wide butt into there. Okay. (laughs) Now we want to do where angels fear to tread and we want to see if there is a vacuum like force, right? Because angel heaven sort of whatever. So now you imagine the buttocks being sucked out the room with a view window, right? And what is he being so forcefully pulled toward? Obviously a passage to India. And where is he going to visit in India? His friend Maurice. So now you have all of the E.M. Forrester books right there in your brain. A Room with a View, Howard's End, Maurice, A Passage to India, and Where Angels Fear to Tread. So that is one example of this book. He he really just breaks down like random stuff. You know, another one he does is UN Secretaries General, which uh, pretty crazy names because they're international. So you have Dag Hammarskjöld, Trig V. Lai, Yu Tant, Butros Butros Gali, you know, all these really hard names. And he he teaches you how to, you know, study for that. So I actually emailed him. I read this book. I was obsessed and I cold emailed him and I told him, you know, how much it helped me. I didn't want anything. You know, I'm not a creepster stalker. And he actually emailed me back and we have a, we've struck up a cross hemispheric phone call and email friendship since uh, I was on. And he's just been really helpful and wonderful. So whether you're studying for the APs or your GMATs or Jeopardy, I, I highly recommend that. So I guess to sum that up, my study tip is to make things comical, be childish, draw it out in your brain, draw it out on paper. Nobody, you owe nobody anything, <laughs> whatever makes you work. If you need to imagine a 30 foot tall butt being sucked out a window, I'm all about that life. Be creative. I like that. So I, I was looking on your Instagram and you were talking about snacks. Snacks can also make studying fun. What are some good snacks for studying? So we're really big here on, on trail mix. So, you know, any sort of chocolate chip, I know you're supposed to eat dark chocolate because it's healthier, but milk chocolate's better, but you know, you do you. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, we like nuts, almonds, dried berries are really good. So we try to make sure that you're keeping your blood sugar even, but also feeding your brain. Look, I love ice cream as much as the next girl, but that should be sort of a post-study snack. And of course, staying hydrated. You know, we all hear it. So many studies have shown that you want to stay hydrated to make sure that your brain is in prime condition. And I love cereal. I'm sort of a child when it comes to that. Give me a bowl of cakes and I am very happy. Yeah. And that's if you like to eat it dry, that can be a good study snack because you can eat it periodically. Yep. 
Okay, myth or fact about chewing gum whenever you study and then chewing gum whenever you take the test. Is that a myth or a fact that it helps you and your test results? I think it's psychosomatic. I think if you think it helps you, then it probably does, right? I think as long as you're not distracting anyone else in the room, you know, it works. I I don't know of any studies on that. That doesn't mean there aren't any, but I think if you have convinced yourself that that is a touch point or sort of a psychological trigger for you to succeed, then, you know, some people I know do the rubber band on their wrists and they kind of snap themselves back when they're losing focus or I'm not sure it's any different than not, you know, needing your lucky pencil. Mm-hmm. That's a good answer. Um, okay. And then another thing I saw on your Instagram that I wanted to ask you about is the, I don't know if I'm going to say it right, but Pomodoro method of studying. Can mm-hmm. you talk about that? Sure. So we have a lot of students with ADHD and learning differences. And even for people who don't, you know, studying and, and sitting in your room for three hours is usually not super effective. And, you know, maybe if you're on Adderall, I guess I'd be lying if I said I didn't do that for Jeopardy. But when you're studying for a real test, you know, it can be really helpful to set a timer in what we call the Pomodoro method, which is essentially 30 minutes on five minutes off. And you can do that as many cycles as is appropriate for you. Most people do it for four cycles. You know, if you don't have that kind of time, of course, but we say that students should study with no distractions. You know, phone is in the other room, not even near you. It's too tempting. Phone's in the other room. You have your desk set up 30 straight minutes. Now, Another thing I'd like to say is studying isn't just reading your notes. I have kids who are like, I studied. Well, what'd you do? Well, I looked over my notes. Well, now we've gone from reading to look over. Well, I skimmed them. So now we've gone from reading to look over to skimmed. Yeah, I didn't look at them. So we need to make sure we're engaging in studying, which again, might be what we just talked about by making sort of a mental funny picture. It may be drawing things out. I have students who are with history. We kind of draw out what they're learning about in really bad stick figures. But if we're talking about, you know, the XYZ affair, you know, in France, we might draw a boat and we might draw a little guy in handcuffs and we might draw some French people really angry going, ha ha ha, the US is bad. You can do little (laughs) bubbles or whatever. So I would say, you know, 30 minutes of engaged studying and then you have a five minute break. You can do whatever you want. But then that timer beeps and you're back to 30. So 35, 35, 35, 35, and then you're done. But we find that breaking it into smaller chunks is usually more effective and it lets your brain let it soak in. I like this method because I used it before I knew what it was because <laughs> I learned <laughs> about it today. You're <laughs> but, a trailblazer. <laughs> but in college, I would, I would just like do little tricks where I would put like a piece of candy a few pages back and be like, okay, I can eat that. Like after I finish these pages or whatever. But the, another thing I would do is I'd set a timer and then I would, I tell people that this is a study trick and they laugh at me because I'm like, I would literally set my timer for three minutes and I would say, okay, I can look at social media for three minutes. And then I would make myself get off. And they're like, for three minutes, what do you, I do it for 15 minutes. And so I think a lot of it, a lot of studying comes down to being disciplined. Like you said, you went from reading your notes to looking over them, to skimming them, to not looking at them at all. So it really comes down to being disciplined to be like, okay, I have to do this. And then whenever this is over, then I get this break and then I have to go back. Right. And, and you could give me your packet of notes from your quantum physics class and I can certainly read them. I'm not going to know what the hell's going on. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to find a way to take those notes, whether it's reorganizing, rewriting, taking some sort of real world assignment to them. But I think you're right with the three minutes. It's almost like naps where, you know, sort of that 20 to 40 minute for a nap is the the sweet spot. But when you go too long, it actually has negative effects. And I would say to your example, yeah, 15 minutes is when you go down that rabbit hole and it's really hard to climb back up. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd be lying if I didn't say sometimes I would reset the three minute timer. <laughs> I'm not that disciplined, but I try to be as disciplined as possible. <laughs> and it, that's all we can ask. Yes, exactly. Cool. So you've already showed or shared a book. Do you have another book or resource that you want to share with us that would be helpful to people studying, people applying to college, people applying to scholarships, anything like that? A good question. You know, we're working on a book for No Anxiety Prep with called Applicorction, which is sort of our, our college application book. It's not out yet. I would say, hmm, I'm trying to think. I mean, or a podcast. Yeah, I'm so well, okay. Actually, I am gonna give you an example of a book. So we work with a lot, a lot of high-level students, um, but we also work with some who are again a little bit non-traditional. So there's this great book called America's Best Colleges for B Students, and it's a college guide for students without straight A's. So we have a lot of students, especially in the DMV area, who are stressed. Their friends have a 4.0 million GPA and a 16 million SAT, and they feel that there's no place for them. And that's simply not true. So I think if you are a student who feels that they are have a lot to offer a college, but you know aren't aren't maybe the most competitive applicant, highly recommend this book because not only does it recommend schools that are attainable and also very good schools, they detail the support systems they have there. So whether that's tutoring or coaching or mental health, I think that's a really important factor that often gets pushed aside in the college process in lieu of what I call the sweatshirt game, which is what fancy school can I wear on my sweatshirt to school so everybody sees where I'm going to go, I think is all about fit. So I would recommend that book for students, uh, especially non-traditional students. Yeah, that sounds like a good resource. Thank you. All right, let's wrap up by asking where can people find you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This was amazing to be able to talk about all of these things. And we would love if your listeners would give us a follow on Instagram. We are at no anxiety prep, N-O-A-N-X-I-E-T-Y-P-R-E-P. We, as you mentioned, we love posting helpful study tips, student accomplishments, tutor takeovers, sort of our work in the community, lots of stuff. We do have a link tree in our bio. If you follow us there, we're on Facebook at the same handle, facebook.com slash prep, And of course, our website, www.noanxietyprep.com. Anyone is welcome to shoot me an email if you have questions. Uh, my personal email is Nikki, N-I-K-K-E-E at noanxietyprep.com. So we really hope to connect with your awesome listeners in any way they feel is worthwhile. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Do you own a small business and need help with your numbers? I can help with that. Hi, I'm Carly Welty, owner of KW Accounting Services and the host of this podcast. Knowing your numbers is definitely in the top five things you should absolutely, without a doubt, no questions asked, prioritize in your business. You might be scared because you think your numbers are a mess, but I can help you get them organized and keep them organized going forward. Go to my website, carlywelty.com, to book a free consultation call to get quoted. Are you just starting your business and you have more expenses than income? Even if you don't have room in your budget for a bookkeeper, I still have something that can help you. Look on my website to see if my DIY bookkeeping template is right for you. Right now, get 10% off my template with the code PODCAST. Nikki was full of knowledge in the college realm and beyond. I hope you grab some valuable takeaways. Here are mine. Number one, prove them wrong. This is great advice for people who have been challenged. I think this can fuel a fire just like Nikki's to be able to do the hard work that is required to prove not only to the person doubting you, but more importantly to yourself that you are capable of achieving whatever you put your mind to. Number two, preparation can curb anxiety. 
I know that's probably too broad of a statement and I'm not in the mental health space, so I can't fully define or give an answer to anxiety, but at least for myself, I know this rings to be true. If you're struggling with anxiety in work in school and anything, try that thing that brings those feelings up for you with different levels of preparation and see how it affects you. Number three, Nikki lists out many ways of finding scholarships before you begin college and while you are currently attending. Even if your parents or yourself has the funds to pay tuition, scholarships are worth the effort put in to pay for your education. Don't ignore this tactic. Go back to around the 20-minute mark to listen to all of the ways Nikki suggests finding scholarships. Number four, find your style of learning that fits best for you. And I think to add to this, find the tricks and methods that help you stay disciplined to study. Whether that's keeping the best study snacks on hand or using the Pomodoro method, find what works for you. Thank you so much for listening into this episode. I hope you are encouraged to take the path of resistance, whatever that looks like for you. Even though it might be scary, it is worth it in the end to know you lived a life of intentionality and reaped beautiful rewards. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the next one.